You're listening to The Melting Podcast, a writing variety show featuring a little of everything from everyone, everywhere. Hey, Lexicon of Sewers and Word Shifts, it is your head chef, AF Grappin. I have recovered from Balticon, thank goodness. And we are bringing you some Balticon goodness. This is the first of our new Balticon bonus episodes from Balticon 50. Another good panel. Enjoy. So is everybody all right? So creating believable villains, is that what you're all here for? Yes. Okay, because I'm not like Connie Willis or anything. <laughs> no, I am uh, Maria B. Snyder. Uh, yes, I said I was doing Balticon for the last 10 years uh, in 2006, which can't believe it's 10 years ago, uh, my first book, Poison Study, won the Compton Crook Award. I was still. So, yep. So I've been coming, I've been a regular at Balticon for 10 years, and, um, you know, I've been doing panels, and I like to offer writing workshops, and the reason is, um, you know, to help out with other writers, because I know a lot of people who enjoy science fiction fantasy also enjoy writing it, like me. I'm also a fan, and a, you know... And I would be stalking, stalking Connie Willis if they let me, but her bodyguards already gave me a little bit of a talk last night. Really? just wanted to hug her. <laughs> so, uh, so, yeah. So, and also a little bit about my credentials. I have 14 novels published. Uh, 11 of them are fantasy novels. I have two science fiction novels, and then I have one that's a middle grade not any, it's just regular contemporary middle grade. I don't know where that one came from. <laughs> and so um, I also teach at Seton Hill University. They have an MFA program. And the cool thing about Seton Hill's MFA program that it is geared towards genre fiction. We are writing popular fiction. We want your horror writers. We want your... Um, your um, romance writers, science fiction, fantasy writers, come on in and have a seat in the middle, don't worry. <laughs> I don't know if that's a Balticon person there. The, I couldn't get the laptop to hook up to this, but this is not going to be that important. It would be nice, yes, if you could do it. I'd appreciate it. Which way are you going? Great. Yeah. All right, I'll get. I'll talk. Okay. You're taking notes at every panel. Yeah, I need a cable to go so they talk to each other. I know that at least. All right. Oh, so I was given a plug for the Seton Hill University program. Yes, it's an MFA program that features genre fiction. Uh, so yeah, horror, fantasy, romance, and everything. Nancy Springer was a faculty member there back in the day. Um, yes. And she's coming to my workshop. It's not, I'm not nervous at all. <laughs> Excuse me when I curl up in a little ball. Yeah. Uh, I, was, I, I graduated from the program back when it was a master's degree, and I just kind of stayed. They tried to get rid of me, but I'm pretty, I'm pretty resourceful and scrappy when I want to be. So uh, I stayed, and this is one of the modules that I taught. No, you're waiting on things. Okay. Uh, this is one of the modules I taught at Seton Hill, was creating believable villains, because you have to put in as much time and effort into your villain as you do for all your other characters, and that's what we're going to go over today. So, 
Um, so I know I have this here, villainy. And I have my notes here, so I don't have to look at it. Okay, so I got a, a really great quote for one of my books that I, is one of my favorite quotes of all time, like for a review. And it was uh, a USA Today review, which was really nice. And it was said, filled with Snyder's trademark sarcastic humor, fast-paced action, and creepy villainy. <laughs> Touch of Power is a spellbinding romantic adventure that will have readers salivating for the next book in the series. The only thing I don't agree with is I don't think it's a romantic adventure, per se. It's a fantasy adventure with elements of romance. But that's just... You know, potatoes, potatoes, right? Okay, so that's like my favorite quote. And the reason it's my favorite quote, not for the sarcastic humor, though that was really nice, but because of the creepy villainy. I really like my villain that came through in, in my healer series. He was he's a, he's a life magician, but instead of granting life, he can take life just by a touch, a touch of power. So he has pretty much has like a god complex, which because he figures he's the master of life and death. You know, he just can touch you and you're dead. So, so that's, uh, that's one of why it's one of my favorite quotes. And I also have a quote from Alfred Hitchcock that I thought was really good. The more successful the villain, the more successful the picture. So that was one of the things he said about villains. So one of your job as a writer is that, and don't worry about that, I'm saying everything, uh, is to make your villains credible, logical, and believable, okay? You want to make them credible, logical, and believable, but not likable, okay? If you start having a really likable villain, that's going to take away from your main protagonist. So, but you want to have them be credible and everything, and believable, okay? And so readers need to understand why a villain is doing what he or she is doing, why he, should, he she believes his actions, I'm going to say his, just to make it easy, um, are justified and rational, Okay? They need to know why, why the villain is doing what they're doing. Because they have, they have in their heads, they know exactly why they're doing what they're doing. So you need to let your reader know what your villain's thinking. You know, what your villain, why, why they have, they have logic. It's warped logic, but it's logic. So you, yeah, so this is, needs to come out. I'm trying to think of an example. I'm Die Hard, Die Hard in the movie. Okay, Hans Gruber is one of my favorites favorite villains, movie villains. Uh, I just love him. And you think he's doing this because he has a political agenda or because he has, you know, some kind of thing. But no, he's just doing it because he wants the money. He's just a greedy little bastard. <laughs> Sorry, guys. Young guys, forget. It's okay. <laughs> just tell your son that adults curse sometimes. I already know that. You're the only kid in the, the one in the back looks a little shell-shocked right now. <laughs> Sorry, I'm used to MFA students who are usually over the age of 18. Usually. Okay. All right, so in a nutshell, do I have that? Oh, and it's a really cool graphic of a half of a nutshell with Sherlock Benedict Cumberbatch. <laughs> it's a good graphic. Trust me. Okay, so in a nutshell, your villains need to be real three-dimensional people, okay? They can't just be these cardboard cutouts. And um, so that, you know, that's pretty much it. Do you think it's too early to go to the bar? No. Uh, no. Uh, all right. It's never too early. It's almost seven. It is. It is. It is. Okay. So here are some famous villains. 
Oh, three-dimensional people. Okay, some famous villains. Okay, so now you got to help me out. Name some famous vi villains. Uh, Dr. Goofenshmirtz from Phineas and Ferb. Something that a lot of people would know. Thoron. Thoron? Thoron from Darth Vader. Oh, Sauron. Okay. Who else? Darth Vader. Somebody in the back? Darth Vader. That's a good one. Moriarty. Moriarty. That's good. Anyone else back there? Never mind. Never mind. Somebody already got it? Yes? Kingpin. Uh, yeah. Kingpin from Daredevil. Fu Manchu. The Joker. The Joker. Voldemort. I heard that's a good one. Sauron. We said that. Anyone else? No? Freddy Krueger. Doctor Doom. Freddy Krueger. Yep. All right. So here's some of the ones I came up with. Uh, we got Professor Moriarty, which somebody said. We have Darth Vader. Another person said Darth Vader. There's a little graphic here of him. In case you don't know what he looks like. Hannibal Lecter. He's the hero of his own story. <laughs> I had Chianti last night, too. Um, Voldemort. Uh, Norman Bates. Going back to Alfred Hitchcock. Uh, Dracula. Uh, Grinch. Scrooge. Uh, and Sauron. That's why I had... Okay, now for the women, I have Ooh. Annie Wilkes. Ooh. Anyone know who she is? Yeah, Misery. Misery. Boy, my husband could not watch that movie. It's he horrible. had the hardest time watching Misery because of Annie Wilkes. And I'm like, that's just because, for once, the man is a victim and not a woman. And that just made him so, like... Like freaked out, and all I had to do was like, like make comp quote yeah. for that movie. And he was like, <laughs> "All right, uh, nurse, nurse Ratchet, uh huh, uh, Wicked Witch of the West, Alex Forrest. Does anybody know Alex Forrest? Now, Fatal Attraction." Glenn Close. That's uh, another one where the men get a little unnerved <laughs> because because she was she was pretty scary. A uh, Cruella Deville. A Catwoman. Bella Lis. Uh, Bella. Bella Tricks. Bella Tricks Lestrange. Okay. So so why why do we come up with these different characters? Because we care. <laughs> They're fascinating. Well, because these characters have made an impression on you, right? Yeah. Nobody can hear heavy breathing without thinking Darth Vader, right? <laughs> I mean, you know, I usually get a crank call, but it's like, Darth? Really? <laughs> Don't you know? My husband's here. <laughs> so, um, yeah, so the reason that these villains are so famous is because... The, the creators of them had made them into uh, three-dimensional characters. Like, they had, they're complex. You know, like, like um, she said in, um, with uh, Hannibal Lecter, said, hero of his own story, right? Because he had become such a character, he pretty much overwhelmed the, re the rest of the characters, which you really don't want to do. But if you're going to do it, I mean, hey, somebody like Hannibal Lecter, get that kind of notoriety. It's great. Yes, in the back. Um, there are some villains that don't really come across as characters. Somebody said Sauron. He's, to me, Sauron seems more like an, a vague, at least in the movies, I haven't read the book. In the movies, he's got more of this vague force than as an actual person. Yeah, well, he, in the books, he's a lot more featured and everything. And he does do 
a lot of things to thwart the main character. So. Wow. An evil force that had a will that didn't seem like a, there was an actual personality. It just, it, okay. That was something I. Sorry. That's something that you picked up on. No, that's fine. So you're thinking he didn't come across as a complex villain. He just came across as like a regular a, a villain. It didn't have a lot of depth to him. Yeah. Just pure evil. Didn't even like a character. It was just like that. It was just an actor. Okay. I, I, Okay. I think that's a good point, but he does have Saruman, who everyone kind of sees as like <coughs> one step away from Saruman. Yeah, yeah. So yeah. He's very yeah. interesting. Yeah. Right? But he's yeah. not the character. I won't deny that. Sauron, however, he, 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 he didn't come across that way. I don't know. I find it interesting because of the Clyde Howard could corrupt even the best of people within that story. Right. You can start off as a good person, get enough power, and then right. power, power, evil, corrupts. That's right. Okay. All right. So let's keep going on. So what you need to do then is to get inside your villain's head. You got to play a little bit of a, a, a psychological thing. You have to, um, just like your protagonist, your antagonist must be complex characters with a backstory, right? Emotions, motivations, fears, and quirks. Okay. Uh, pure evil or over-the-top <laughs> villains are weak and hard to believe sometimes if they're just too they're just too much they're too evil for you you know um, cliches like the evil stepmother uh, or the evil twin uh, are also hard to pull off some with you know serial killers and drug dealers you know you have to bring nowadays you're gonna have to bring something new to your stories because a lot of it has been done before and try not to, to lean on the stereotypes. Okay, she's a stepmother, we'll call her a stepmonster and we'll go from there, kind of thing. So um, you try not to cheat, try not to just put in a stereotype. So you're all, you have to be a psychologist, basically. And you have to have a mental, uh, if your villain also too, if your villain does have a mental disorder, which many of them do have mental disorders, you can't cheat and say that's the reason they're doing stuff, which I'll get to soon. Um, there are different books out there to help you with your research, get it right, because, you know, people get very upset when you say, if you say he's a psychopath versus a sociopath, they'll sit there and argue for like an hour on which the difference is, you know, Benedict, uh, in Sherlock, he says he's a high-functioning sociopath, and I think, some people tell me that's not right, that that's not correct, so I don't know, so I haven't done the research for it, but... So there's a dis Diagnostic and Statistical Manual of Mental Disorders, also DSM, I think it's up to five, or yes. is it six yet? Five. 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 Yeah, see, you guys all know this. Mm -hmm. um, also, The Criminal Mind, uh, with um, A Writer's Guide to Forensic Psychology by uh, Catherine Ramsland. That's R-A-M-S-L-A-N-D, Ramsland. That's a really good one because she was a, she's a criminal psychologist and she got so tired of authors getting it wrong that she wrote a whole book. Sure, it's called The Criminal Mind, A Writer's Guide to Forensic Psychology. Oh, we got tech people coming in. If you guys can like, you're not, well. You're just coming in to have a seat. Are oh, you going to sit with your family? He's also a tech person. Don't you know this is Balticon? Usually you leave your family behind. Where we're all family. 
Yeah. We're all family. Are you just pawn them off on other family. people? Yeah, but you are sex. So maybe we should go help. What's wrong? Can the people standing at the door hear me? Alright, let me. They have big. Here's my clicker. Oh, you're doing that. Okay. Alright, so. So yeah, so everybody got the two books. Well, the DSM everybody knows about the criminal mind. Okay, so your villains and your characters all need Yay. goals. Yay. Oh, we're working. Yay. It's magic. Hey, thank you guys. You're very it's magical. Yeah, I tried. I go out that door. <laughs> nope, it's stuck. That one doesn't. That one doesn't work. Very good. Can everybody see? Oh, and then there's the books there. This is my next point. Okay. Yeah, your villains need to be... Oh, wait, it's up, it's up. Juggling around. I should take a picture and send this to Jeanette. 21 people, seriously? Okay. Sorry. You already made a note of it. I, I sent her an email earlier this week when she said the room only had, had room for 21. Because I liked it that it had the desk so you could write notes. But, okay. That's all right. I mean, this is what we got. We're just, we'll just be cozy. All right. So, yeah, your villains need goals, they need motivation, and they need conflict. So, let's go to villainy goals. Okay? What do they desire more than anything else in the world? Their want, ambition, purpose. What does your guilt, villain want? This is what you're going to answer for your own characters. Okay? Uh, usually when you have one... Oh, I don't have to look there. I have it here. Ooh. Okay. One villain, usually you have one villain equals one goal. That's normal. But it doesn't have to be that way. But you think of like Hannibal... Um, not Hannibal. Hans Gruber from Die Hard. You know, he just wanted the money. You know, that's what's his goal. And that's all he had. He wanted to get the money and run and then live the rest of his life as a very rich person. That didn't quite happen. <laughs> but I, I like him. Okay. So, it need, the goal needs to be important and urgent. Okay? It drives the action of the story. Oops. I thought I had a graphic with that one. It has to be important because if they have a goal that's really silly, you're not really going to buy into their evil, m evil plan. If their goal is something, um, you know, I'm trying to think of a silly example, but... but uh, Corolla DeVille just wanted a coat. Wanting a coat, okay. <laughs> but she made that work because she was like a fashion person. But, but, and she wanted to kill puppies. And she wanted to kill puppies, which is really bad. <laughs> Many people care about those puppies. Yes, but um, I'm just trying to think. I'm just trying to think of like a goal. If you know, if, if he's doing this just because he wanted to balance his checkbook or something like that, you know, you're not going to buy in to the whole, you know, the whole, the whole thing. So uh, can it work to leave that vague though? Like we don't really know what Hans Gruber wanted to use the money for, right? Right, right. You can leave that vague, but money, acquiring money, is a goal. That's an important thing. So that's something that you're you wanted. Nancy, I have a sense that you need an emotional, not not just a logical goal, but an emotional, an emotional goal too. Yes, that's great, um, and that needs to be important. So in the back there, I think it can sort. You, you said you have to be an emotional and logical. I think it can be either or. It can be an emotional goal that overrides logic, or it can be a logical goal that over, that overrides emotions like compassion and. Or, or empathy, or even self-preservation. Right. Yeah, it's, what I'm going to go into is internal and external. 
goals, which the internal is emotional and the external is the logical, which we're going to get to. Okay, so smaller goals can lead to bigger goals. It's a series of steps, you know, sort of like the snowball effect. You know, if you start out with a huge thing and then you get down to the smaller thing, then your ending of your story is not going to be like, eh, because they already achieved their big thing in the beginning. So usually you start out with small things, you know, when, when like in the Da Vinci Code, they had to find certain clues as they went along and it got more and more and more important, more and more uh, uh, problems going on. So you want to do that. Basic plot is real easy. You get a character and they have something that they want more than anything and then you set obstacles in their path and they got to go over these obstacles and there, that's the plot right there. That's how you do it. So, and it's the same with the, the same with the antagonist, your villain. They have a goal here, and here they are, and you're going to set a series of obstacles, which we'll get to. I'm, I'm getting ahead of myself. Okay, deadlines and ticking clocks can help add your in to your tension. Maybe your villain has to do something by a certain time because maybe the president is only in town for this one day, and they have this one opportunity to get to him. Um, thinking of National Treasure, where he had to get into the Smithsonian, and it was this gala that night, so they had to do it that night. So that really helps, and that helps with your reader, because it up increases attention. Failure should have a consequence. You know, if he misses a deadline, or if he doesn't get his bomb on this one train, then there needs to be some kind of consequence to that, just like with your protagonist. They can change during the book, of course the book, However, you need to have a good reason. You know how um, she was saying earlier, like that good people can, once they get power and once they get uh, prestige, they can change from a good person into a bad person, right? So there's a reason for that change. And the same with a bad villain. You know, if they're changing what their goal is, there's got to be a reason for that change. Not just because, ah, I decided I didn't want to blow up, you know, the state building. Um, yeah, I'm done with that. <laughs> It's like, well, why? You know, did you have a change of heart? Is there somebody in there that you care about? Like, what's going on here? You can't just do that. That's what we're expecting. And then we have all our protagonists rushing to the scene and nothing happens. <laughs> oh. Yeah. Okay. All right. Villain should have both internal and external goals, which is what he was talking about earlier. The emotional element versus the external, the, the logical like an, type thing. There's also that weird thing with people that don't have emotions, which is psychopaths. Right. And uh, uh, actually, most of our CEOs are psychopaths. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, but psychopaths need not be criminals. Right, right. When a psychopath decides to be a criminal, they have no compassion, no emotional. The, the difference between a psychopath and a sociopath is a sociopath is filled with rage. Okay. I thought that was a psychopath. Yeah, I thought it was the other way. Maybe I've got it backwards. It's possible. Yeah, but yeah, just know what it is. Yeah, some some disorders, they don't have that compassion. They don't have that conscience. What they think what they're doing makes perfect sense, right? It's the whole logical thing. 
I'm doing this because this is what I want, and that's not a problem for me because I don't have any kind of emotions or any sense of guilt for doing it. Yes. I'll shut up then. Okay. Uh, it can be as simple and ugly as, oops, I killed a puppy. Oh, that's kind of cool, all that blood. Let's, uh, try, let's do that again. Oh, really? And then let's do it to a bigger animal, and then let's try it with a human, mm. and then more than one human. Oh, okay. So it escalates. Okay, so now, here's, here's a chart for you, and I want you to, um, if you don't have paper, I have some paper up here, or if, you know, you don't have to do this, but basically, if you're working on a story, or if you want to do this for a, are there, is there paper there for you, and oh, some of it? Yes. A form of weird paper. Okay. <laughs> it's a thing. Well, I was going to make copies of this chart, but I didn't know how many people were coming. And More than 21. Yeah, more than 21. And um, so, yeah, if you want, does anybody want paper down here? Anyone need paper? All right, so you want to do this chart. Give yourself plenty of room to fill in the boxes. Internal, external, here's your character, and then here's a list of things. Do you need paper? Sure. You don't need it. Yeah, you don't have to do it. Maybe non-relevant question. Do you have a website with your PDF on it? Uh, not with the PDF on it, but, but I, if you email me, I have bookmarks here. Yeah, if anybody wants my notes, come get a bookmark at the end and then just email me. And can you pass this back? Okay, everybody else good? All right. Sure. Yeah, there's that little pad, too, that you can use that they put on here, which is interesting. Yeah. Can you flip it over? Oh, you can flip it over. There's plenty of room on the back. There we go. All right. There we go. So, okay. So this is something that you want to have. That This chart here is really good for all your characters, not just your villains. It'll work for all your characters. But we're going to concentrate on the villains. And so now, if you're not actively working on a story that has an antagonist, if you still want to do the exercise, pick somebody that you really like, like a villain that you really like. Like, I would be picking Hans Gruber because I like him. And, you know, it's Alan Rickman. Come on, people. All right. <laughs> and, um, and so you can fill it out for that. But you don't have to do it if you don't want to. <laughs> okay, so here's, here's mine. I talked about my villain, Tohan, who is a life magician, right? And uh, in my Touch of Power books, my healer books. Okay, so now, what is his goal? So I filled this out for him. Okay, so his internal goal, which is more the emotional goal, is that he wants a vindication that he is the per most powerful man in the world. Okay, that's his goal. He wants people to say, yes, you are the go-to guy. You're number one. Okay? Uh, so that's the internal. That's what, that's what he, his, he wants. He wants that satisfaction that people say that. And then his external goal, he wants to become the king, the ruler of the 15 realms in, in the story. The 15 realms had gone, undergone a plague and wiped out two-thirds of the population, so they're pretty much in chaos. So he wants to like, get them all to back together and, and rule over everybody. So that's, that's one of his things. Yes? So what if your um, villain has an overall desire, but the story is around some goal that gets them? For for the villain, it gets partway there. Well, like, like you know, they have some ambition to you know, basically 
being the CEO of the company. But the story, the story is about how they um, do something to get the to get to be. Yeah, well, that's fine. It, it doesn't matter right this point in time. It doesn't matter if they achieve that goal or not. You just need to know what the goal is. So wanting to become a CEO, that's the goal. So that's all you need to do. So right now, all I want you to do is focus on the goals. Don't don't go ahead <laughs> in the chart. Just goals only right now. Yes, in the back. So how much time would you spend explaining the, the, the motivation behind that goal? I mean, like he wasn't hugged enough by his dad. What's, how, how deep do you go into that to say why I have to be the number one most powerful guy? You go in pretty deep. Yeah, when you're at this stage, you do. Now, whether or not you're, how much you you show in your story depend depends on your story and how much. You as the author need to know. You as the author need because if you're going to make this character complex and three dimensional, you need to know everything about him or her. But you don't necessarily need to explain all of that to the reader, or no, no, you don't necessarily have to. I do put in little bits. I drop in little hints about Toan and the reason why he's he's this way, but I don't come out and just give a whole little psychological dissection of it. <laughs> well, you know, Tohan, you know, his father, you know, it rejected him and was jealous of his power and, you know, all this stuff. No, but I do know that myself. So, and I show it a little bit, a little here and there when you're with the character. So, but right now you just want to fill out the goals section. And I'll give you a couple minutes to do that. And also, too, if you email me, uh, I can send you a worksheet, like a, a doc file with the worksheet on it, so you can have a computer file of that. It's fine. Yeah, I don't have the, I won't send the PowerPoint, but like I have my PowerPoint notes, which I'll send. Because if you want to put all the work in and make it the PowerPoint on your own, go ahead. <laughs> get blood to it. External goal is to be the state director of Department of Internal Security, and this internal goal is vindication that is better than those. Okay, that's good. That's good. Anyone else want to share? Yes. Yes. Yeah. 
Um, it's like a Dungeons and Dragons universe. Um, but uh, she's uh, I don't have a name for her yet, but that's she, okay. She like took over a company that the characters uh, who was owned by a character that the players liked a lot. Mm-hmm. So she didn't work for the power at all. And her internal goal is to prove that she's not a disappointment to her parents because she has no magical potential and she's terrible at the stuff that her parents wanted her to be good at. Okay. Um, and the external way to do that is to sort of like sow the land with all these powerful magical items to make all the wizards basically impotent, you know, mm-hmm. their powers are meaningless if everyone has a magic sword. Oh, that's good. That's good. I like that. All right, in the back. Mine is a dictator and or someone who is trying to become a dictator. Okay. His internal goal is his external goal is that he wants to protect to protect the human race because the human race knows the human race is going to be invaded by aliens. Okay. So what so he's trying so he wants to kill all the aliens that are already on planet Earth living peacefully. The internal goal is bigotry and just simple racism, but they're combined that he, he fears that they could be a sick call and if they're not, if this, this group of people isn't wiped out. So okay. That, does, does that work? Yeah, that, that sounds great. Yeah, interesting. Okay, so now, I don't, I think everybody's on. Okay, now we're going to look at the motivation, okay? The drive. Oh, my phone. Uh, the backstory. Basically, what the motivation is is uh, the why. Why do they have this goal? This is where the father beat them when they were a little little person, you know, kind of thing. The, the girl rejected him from, from uh, you know, the prom, asked the, asked the girl the prom, she said no, and then all of a sudden that series of events just goes from there. So this is the why. Um, this is what drives the villain to achieve his or her goal. Okay, it's the urgency, of, and the urgency of this drive is also very important for the motivation. It's like they want to achieve this goal. Why do they want to achieve this goal? And you know how soon? Like you know, what is the timeline? Yes, in the back. A shortcut I use when I'm at this part is I'll create villains that are reflections of the heroes. That way I I don't have to create a new, that way I can um, tweak certain elements of a pre-existing backstory for another character to decide, okay, what would have to happen to that character to make him, him or her turn into a villain? Okay. That's an interesting way to do it. Um, you just got to be careful that they're not too, you know, you want each character to be a, its own unique person, character. Uh, and that's what certain villains really grab our interest is because they have that. They're, they're fully realized. They're three-dimensional. Um, okay, well, there's the drive. Okay. <laughs> uh, for new authors, it's best to keep your motivation simple, strong, and focused. I mean, if you try and get too complex right away, it, it's a little bit harder to deal with when you're, when you're new, when you're starting out writing. But if you've been writing for a while, like I'm sure Nancy could like put together a villain and like, you know, she probably already has like three already written down by now. <laughs> well, I was just thinking, one thing I love to do with villains is give them, they play the cello beautifully. Right. Or they, they, they write the most exquisite poetry. Especially if they're rapists. Right, mm-hmm. right. And we're going to get to that. See, Nancy's already thinking ahead. Uh, we're going to get to that. But yeah, um, giving them something, a good quality, which we're going to talk about too. 
Okay, so so yeah, so when you're when you're starting out, it's it's best to kind of have you know a, a real kind of keep it simple and strong. Because if you try and get too complex and you're trying to show everything, it, it can be hard to, to keep that all going. I don't know. Uh, they must have a compelling reason for what they're doing. I mean, it cannot be something silly. Like you know, I um you know I want to get a PhD, and my husband asked me why. And I'm like, well, I want people to call me Dr. Snyder. <laughs> He's like, so you want to spend thousands of dollars and two years of your life just so people can call you doctor? I'm like, yeah. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> he didn't think that was a compelling reason. <laughs> I had it come up. Yeah, I know, everybody's here like, yeah. <laughs> well, then you all need to call my husband. Let me get <laughs> Dr. Evil, you four years of evil doctor medical school. Evil doctor medical school. Well, my, uh, yeah. So, so anyway, but the reason needs to be compelling. You know, you just, it just cannot be uh, uh, silly. Like, okay, the, the prom date one. Yeah, she rejected him from the prom, and now he's going to go and destroy the entire world because he doesn't want anyone else to have a prom date ever again. Okay, that's kind of silly. Uh, that's like really over the top for, for what he wants. But maybe in, in his small little world, that sets off things about being rejected and trying to go to a point. So has to have a compelling reason for every action. Um, larger than life motivation, but still within the realm of possibility. Okay, because you know, in your story, again, they want to have have something important that they're doing, but not like too over the top. Like I said, the guy is going to wipe out the whole human race because he got rejected for for one problem. It's like, you know, <laughs> chill out. <laughs> they all go by themselves anyway now. Like my daughter and her friends, they didn't want dates. They're like, date? I'm going to hang out with my friends and have fun. So, okay. And also internal, so then there's also the internal and the external motivation. So, uh, and the internal is usually the emotional motivation. Like the whole thing, I'm going to prove to my father that I can do this. Okay? And that's the internal. And sometimes in the motivation category, internal and external can kind of be blurry. It's kind of hard to separate that one out because, because motivation tends to be more, inter, you know, it tends to be more driven by, by your own emotional needs, your own thing like that. So, um, so that one's a little bit harder to do. And it should match the characters, okay? So if you have a teenager, protect antagonist, I mean, if they're worried about retirement at this age stage in their life, there's, there's, that's probably not going to match up. Like, you know, unless they're really far thinking. I think most, most teenagers that I know don't, can't think past the, the, the current day they're in. <laughs> or, you know, within the next couple of months. They're certainly not thinking about it. <laughs> Drink water to prevent that. <laughs> Sorry, I have a very twitchy throat, and when I'm at places like this where everybody has a different scent, <laughs> no, that'll make it worse, so thank you. Okay, so now we're going to go to our table. All right, now I have filled it out for Tohan, his motivation, okay? Prove to his father that he's worthy of the position and his father's love and regard. Uh, satisfaction of outsmarting everyone, that's part of his motivation, you know, some people get really satisfied for doing things. My husband loves those magicians, 
uh, reveal where they reveal the magic trick because whenever we go see a magician, he's always trying to figure out how the guy did it, and I'm like, it's magic, just stop. <laughs> Don't ruin that for me. I'm gonna be amazed. And he's like, oh, I bet you he did this. So, um, but he gets my husband enjoys it when he can outsmart when he can figure the trick out. Okay. So same with Tohan. He, he's, he's satisfaction that he can outsmart everyone. But then if external is proved to his classmates that they were wrong and access to unlimited power. Again, that's kind of dodgy there. The, the classmates that they were wrong, he, he went to a school where at the end of the, the last year of the school, say the senior year, they all voted for who would be king of their little group. And he really wanted to be voted king, and he wasn't. So he's been trying to prove that they picked the wrong person for a while now. Yes, in the back. Uh, sorry. Um, that's all right. So with the external that's a good that's a good thing yeah it could be what others perceive as their their motivation I mean but yeah because it's external so other people will pick up on it on what they want like all his classmates who are the ones who are going against him were like well we should have just King, <laughs> this problem. So, so you know, yeah, yeah. So that's a good point. Very good. Thank you. Yes, the next story. So, with, uh, with you know, like the love of his father, is there a danger in making the the villain too sympathetic? I, I thought in the beginning you said something about not making them likable. Is there? Is it? Is it sort of equate to making them too sympathetic? You know, you, you almost pity them, or, or yeah, well. Yeah, you don't want to like them too much. Like, you don't want to like them more than a protagonist. And he does a lot of bad things. So, yeah, his, his father, it's, you know, but he also killed his father. Yeah. Kill, exactly. So. Something I is I try to make my hero actually more, at least the tragic of my villain, if not more so. So. Like a villain will perceive his 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 childhood as being more traumatic than it actually was, whereas the hero might actually have had the views of Eric who might would actually force them instead of having a comfortable home but then running it away from it. Right. So that's that's something I try to do to keep my to make sure that the villains don't become more sympathetic. Right, yeah, well, the motivation is something that you can understand, like his father being bad, and then you feel bad for him, but then he goes and kills his father and kills a bunch of other people, and you don't feel as bad, because fathers are bad to a lot of people, and they don't end up being homicidal maniacs. So there's that, there's a thing there. It's like, yo, dude, get some, get some therapy, you know? Okay, so now what I want you to do is on your sheets that you have, or have not, is fill out your com your motivation for your villains. Okay, how we're doing for time? Are we doing good for time? <coughs> yeah, we're here till like one twenty. So I don't know if anybody of a one o'clock panel, we can do a one o'clock like if you need to leave type of thing. I was surprised that I did get eighty minutes because I asked I asked for more time because this is a three hour class. I'll talk about this for three hours at Seton Hill, well, with breaks. I give every, every hour I give a 10-minute break because nobody can sit there and listen to me no matter how fabulous I am for three hours. Yeah. Don't agree too easily there. I taught. You taught, yeah. I have a new appreciation for teachers. 
Mm, especially high school teachers. I couldn't have done it. Five, di- five times a day, the same material. Yeah. Yes, you have a question. Uh, so, don't apologize. I'm having trouble, like, like find differences between some of the motivation and the goals category because yeah. I understand that motivation is what like motivation gets you to the goal. Um, and I can see that in the statements that you use the word prove with. But mm-hmm. for those that you don't use prove with, like access to unlimited power, become king, ruler of all 15 realms, sound like the same thing to me. They sound, yeah. So, like, I get in order to prove to his classmates that they were wrong, like, the the enactment of that is to become a king or ruler, which basically has access to unlimited power. Right. Like, the ones that don't start with prove, like, I just feel like blur the lines so much that I always wrap these into one in my head, and I'm staring at my worksheet, and I don't know. Yeah, I, I said this motivation can be kind of hard to separate <laughs> internal and external, but if you know what the motivation is, it's good. Like, you know. Right. But yeah. I, I mean, I mean, like, the, the goals and... Goal and oh, the goal and the motivation. They're very close. Yes. Except for the external, the goals and the motivation are, are usually very similar. Yeah. But, but the internal, the ones that you have, they seem interchangeable. Oh, they seem interchangeable. Oh, I guess so. I mean, I get the proof statements make make the most sense to me. Like that's. So yeah, I need to rewrite this whole thing. <laughs> Thank you very much. I'm trying, but I'm I know you're trying to understand. I'm trying to do like so. I mean, like for example, um, my like external goal that I have is um, destroy debtors' prisons, the debt relief system, and create more viable opportunities for debt relief. So what's the motivation? Like having been stinking poor. Right, but that was my. That was like. I mean, internal independence, freedom, ability to live free. Like I just, I get the categories are really, they're really they're, oh, they're these confused. two categories. Because I'm like, of course, like just, that's the motivation. Yeah. Well, the the goal is the statement of what they want. The motivation is why they want okay. it. What and why? What? Yes. I'm gonna write those in front. What is the goal? What they want? Motivation. Why they want it? And he had a. Is that what you were going to say in the back there? Yeah, I know you had your hand up. You look like Nancy. For most of the people that want power, it's insecurity. Just pure and simple. Insecurity, right. Right. You know, they've never been loved enough. Nothing. There never possibly can ever be enough love, adulation, and all the rest of it. Is that the crazy cat lady people? That's why they have so many cats. The extremists. Yeah. <laughs> so that's a good point. But, uh, yeah, if, if you if you really got honest to God, uh, what do you call it, low self esteem, then you understand mm-hmm. that no matter what happens, if if you're world famous like Shakespeare, if you're uh, I don't know, if they crown you king of the universe, you're still going to have low self esteem. Right. Right. <laughs> Only the people that try don't realize that. Right. Okay, that's good. That's good. That is a good insight. <laughs> so that's a good insight. So maybe write down for the agent that I described earlier that some internal motivation is to prove that he's a better agent with his coworkers, internal insecurity, but also to preserve the government from disorder, which is also a form of insecurity. Right. Yeah. That's good. Yes, in the back. This is for a different. A character on um, just plain survival. That does. Yeah. That's motivation. 
That, that is a motivation. To live? Yeah. Motivation that, but I don't really have, have a separate mo motivation. This is just, the, my, the character I'm thinking of now is, is different than what I talked about earlier before, but this is a character who is j just wants to do anything to survive. He's right. kind of a coward, and is and willing, and work through a mad scientist because that's the only person that can cure him of a disease that he of a disease that he has. Right. Yeah, survival, that's that's a great motivation for a lot of things. People will do some really desperate things if they if, if for survival. So that's that's a good point. And the goal changes is that after he figured out he can't survive, the heroes kill the mad science scientist, then he decides, okay, I'm just gonna take revenge on everyone that's ever pushed me around around because I have because I I live the kind of life I have. I don't have friends, so I'm going. To, that's what I'm going to spend the remainder of my time doing. Okay. All right. That's good. All right. Let's get moving on. So people have uh, motivations or know a little bit better. Does anybody want to share theirs? Since we didn't do a share thing yet, I should bring chocolates. You know, like hey, if you share, I'll give you chocolate. People do anything for chocolate. Chocolate's different. Yeah. That's, right. That's, That's my motivation, chocolate. Chocolate, there you go. <laughs> I just have one question. Sure. You mentioned that the motivation should be larger than life. So what do you mean by that? Well, it, it, it needs to be, um, it's something significant, not like something silly, like, you know, the reason. I guess, uh, I think for fiction, you know, uh, a lot of times people are reading fiction because they're escaping from reality. So, like, you know, the everyday stuff. Is not as um, paying bills is not a good idea. yeah paying bills there we go that's a great one yeah I can't think of paying my bills right right I can relate unless you never have it if you want like um if you want a family if you want something but you never had it that might be a big motivation right because this is something you've never had this is something you want right might be doing terrible stuff to get to get what you want right. All right, that's great. So now let's go on to conflict, villainy conflict. Okay, basically the trouble, the fiction, the roadblocks that get in the way of their goal. Okay, this is just the stuff that's trying to stop them from reaching their goal. Like I said earlier, that's basic plot. You have a character, they want X, and you put all these little roadblocks in their way to get X. And then normally as they get through all these different obstacles, your character does change. Now, usually with the villain, though, they don't change as much unless, unless you have that or you're going to have that as part of your story. But like Hans Gruber, he started out wanting that money, and he had all these obstacles that got in his way. First, he had the security of the building, and then he had um, you know, various other things, and of course, John McClane running around killing his, his people. So, so that was things. So if you need conflict in your story... <coughs> Otherwise, it would be boring. And the same with the, the pre, pre antagonist, you know, your villain. They need, they need to have conflict as well. They can't just have an easy way of it. Because if they do, then why would not everybody else just give up and say, okay, well, you win, you know? So. Sorry. That's all right. Uh, that's the obstacles. What gets in your way is that he or she attempts to reach the goal. So just obstacle. And the obstacle can be the protagonist. You know, like in like a, one of the mysteries. Mysteries do that all the time. You have somebody commits a murder or commits a crime, and then the whole book is the protagonist trying to figure out who it is. And if the antagonist is part of the story, 
they're trying also to set up roadblocks for the protagonist. So they kind of go back and forth with each other in that. I'll get to you later, okay? Because <laughs> you're probably um, say something I'm going to already cover. So yeah, so so you know they can bounce off each other like that. The conflict, uh, clear conflict is a must. You don't ever want to confuse your reader. Okay, that's really important that you don't confuse your reader. So with like you know switching up the conflict, or not switching up, but not making it clear enough to what's at stake. And a lot of times, authors, what we'll do is we'll give you reminders in the book. You know, if it's been a couple chapters and we just do a touch on what the conflict is again, you know, just maybe an internal thought like, oh, if I don't do this, this will happen. So i got to get to do this. Or look at the time. They'll do like, oh, I only have four hours left until this. And if I don't do it, then this is going to happen. They're just little reminders because people don't usually read a whole book in one sitting, though some people do. <laughs> You guys have way more time than I do if you do that. Or you're stuck on a 15-hour flight to Sydney like I was uh, in uh, April. Yeah, you read a lot of books when you're, when you're flying L.A. to Sydney. Okay. Yeah, and my rule of writing, when, since I mentor my students at Seton Hill, my rule is always never confuse the reader at any time in the story. You can hide things from your reader because you want to, like, set up a little thing later, and you could put little clues and subtle things. But if they're confused, if they're going, you know, what the heck, then that's not good. So, so that's me. Uh, and so they need to have, their, their conflict needs to intersect with the protagonist's goals, motives, and, and, and conflict, GMC, okay? So just like, you know, in that murder mystery, that's the easy one. But, you know, again, like Lord of the Rings, you have, he has the ring, he wants to go and melt it, and the, the other people just trying to stop him from doing that and, they, and reclaim the ring. And then there's, there's lots of obstacles in Lord of the Rings. Um, so so it, it does need to intersect. Because if you have a goal for your villain that has nothing to do with your protagonist, then it doesn't make any sense. It's like, why are they in the same book? <laughs> Like, he's doing this, you know, like, again, Die Hard, he wants the money. John happens to be in the building when he wants to do that. And his, you know, his people, his wife is in danger as a motivation for John McClane, right? Not only to stop the bad guy, but then to protect his wife. Okay. Uh, conflict t tests the villain and can enable him to change and grow. It can. They can have a character arc. A villain can have a character arc in it. Um, I don't have it on here. Okay. They, they can change, like, uh, you know, like Darth Vader, right? He starts out as a big bad, and then he ends up being, you know, saving Luke. So, sorry if I ruined that for anybody. <laughs> but really, if you haven't seen it, where have you been? Um, and conflict can go from ma minor problems to major problems. Again, you want to you want to increase the conflict. You want to increase the obstacles, making them bigger and bigger. I keep doing this with my hand because you know a story arc, a story structure usually you start out here and then you have it's like a roller coaster. Then you accelerate. Right, and and the, the the hills in a roller coaster usually get bigger and bigger. Usually, I think now then they just drop you off the side of a building or something. <laughs> Um, to try and be more extreme, but basically, story structure is you get you get little obstacles that you have to come over until you get to the big climax, and that's the big thing. 
So the same with the conflict. You know, the conflict, that's how it goes. Rising action, tension. I don't know. I'm Italian. Got to use the arms. Okay. And internal conflict is the more emotional conflict, which we might get into a little harder, taking the internal and the external. Well, we'll see. Okay. So... So here's my 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 uh, graph again for Tohan. Here's his. There's a conflict. Oh, this is not too bad. Okay, so he feels unworthy of anyone's love. That whole low self-esteem that Nancy was mentioning earlier. I was going to say, is it one o'clock? Do we need our one o'clock? Anyone else need to leave at one o'clock? I won't make fun of you for for bailing. I'll just you know. He's trying to think of something funny to say. Yeah, I have a panel at one. I'm not going to be there. I'm scheduled for a panel right now. I didn't realize this one went till 1.30. All right, so conflict is, yes, feels unworthy of anyone's love. So he's low self-esteem, but he's also unable to trust people. So even his loyal people, he, he feels that may not be might not be good. Is there seats in the back there? Okay. Uh, and then the external conflict, there's these three characters, okay? Prince Ryan, Carrick, and Avery, they're determined to stop him from what he wants. He wants to be in charge of the 15 realms, and there are three people who think that him being in charge would be a bad thing. Okay? So they're determined to stop him. Sort of like, you know, it depends on who you're voting for. It's like Hillary to Trump or Trump to Hillary. <laughs> I won't say, I'm just saying, just, that's the conflict there. In your own mind, who's the, who's the protagonist, who's the antagonist? It depends on who you're voting for, right? You can have more than one villain. <laughs> yes, you can. You can have more than one villain. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, that's funny. All right. Um, so, so here now on your sheets, uh, if you want to fill out the conflict for your own characters that you're working on, or for a, a movie character or a book character that is your favorite, um, you can do that. You're doing good with time. Maria? Yes? I, I have a feeling you're probably going to say this at some point, but I just keep on flashing back to years and years ago, 40 years ago, whatever, David Hartwell saying to me that the external drama must resolve at the same time as the psychodrama. <clears throat> Meaning that if somebody's going to change, sacrifice, uh, turn over a new leaf, that has to be related to and happen at the same time as the saving the world. Right, right. That's that's a good point. Yes, when the when when the conflict, the climax comes to a head, if your character is going to make a change, I mean, there could be little things mm -hmm. that kind of start making the character think that maybe they're not doing the right thing or something like that. Um, I'm thinking of Darth Vader. You know, the little things when his encounters with Luke throughout the, the movie. And then at the end, when they have the big fight, he changes at the same time as the big fight. Yes, and that's exactly what Nancy was saying. That's a good point. That's from David Hartwell. Mm -hmm. yeah. Did you work with him? He was my editor for a long time. Oh, okay. Okay. That's cool. That was the... the, the yeah. 
my first editor, I can't remember her name. She, she, I think I was the death of her. She came and went so quick. But uh, David Hartwell uh, started me with the White Heart and right on through. Oh, okay. That's cool. All right. So does anyone want to share their conflict? That they, yes? Uh, I'm working as a historian, Victorian aristocracy. Okay. And the main villain... His family had been aligned to the throne, but various things happened in the past now that he's not. Okay. So that's his goal is to be back in the uh, throne. Okay. The throne. But his internal conflict is that he had been raised being a good royal British citizen. Mm -hmm. You don't do that. Right. Right. He's going against yeah. how he was raised. Mm -hmm. Yeah. That's good. That's good because that's a good one. How about in the back there? Um... I'm really thinking about rather than individuals of a couple of species of aliens. Okay. Um, both had been late developing species on a planet where there was a, a, a an over species there for a long time. Mm -hmm. the, the older guys had manipulated both of the lesser species on the planet who are now fighting each other. Hmm. One suspects that they have been uh, messed with, and they're really tough ones. They they're acting like the bad guys. Okay. Um, but the others who believe that they that they understand how things should be, and and that they're doing things right, they're the ones that are taking the brunt from these other guys. Okay. But neither one knows that the real bad guy is, is yet to come. Ah, okay. So you got the conflict here, and then you're going to swoop in with the more like like an it's like Independence Day. You know, all the countries fighting. And then when the big bad comes, we all unite to take <laughs> care of the big bad, right? In the back. Uh, going back to the, the first villain I talked about, the guy who wants to become the di dictator. He is, what, what is his internal conflict is that he wants, doesn't want to be seen as a bad person. Okay. So when, but he has to get, but in order for him to enact his plan, to, Plan. He has to get rid of some of his political opponents, so he has to do that secret. So he either has to do it legitimately, or he has to do kill them but do it, but make them nobody suspects him. That is him. Okay, that's then good. Then there's also then there's also the fact that deep down he knows this genocide plan is going to ferment, ferment, revolt, and it's probably going to backfire on him and the human race. But but he convinces but he tries to deny that fact throughout throughout, throughout most of the story. Mm -hmm. Story. Yeah, well yeah, some characters do. They're like in denial, right? They don't really <laughs> see. You know, they, they, they try not to think about it, like, you know. But that's good. Does anyone else want to share oh in the red here? What is your name in the red? Ted. Ted. Okay, Ted. Um, <laughs> so I'm just gonna be real quick. So pick one internal conflict. Um, so this uh, and, and you can tell me if this is an internal conflict. That is, his arrogance makes him hard to like, but he needs to be liked to succeed in his job and advance in his career. Yeah, that's that's a good conflict. Yeah, he, he, he needs to be liked, but he's unlikable. Yeah. Like, you know, some people have trouble yeah, with that. And like, yeah, not trying to, yeah. That's good. And you had in the back there? So, uh, how does it just... Yeah, well, I'm sorry. Mine was an example. I actually I just had a question. You had a question. That's fine. Like, so, Hopefully, uh, we'll have an answer. How does guilt work? 
as, as an internal conflict, you know, to where they're they're doing something that they know is morally wrong, but you know they're trying they're picking the lesser of evils. They believe that it's wrong morally but necessary, um, and and so there's that that they know what they're doing. So there's that guilt. That yeah, the guilt. Yeah, guilt's a strong motivator. It's a strong emotion, but and people will hold you back. Yeah. yeah, it's a strong, it's a strong motivator, and yet people feel guilty. I mean, that's a human thing, but yet they they um, rationalize it. They always, you know, they think, well, wait, you know, I feel guilty. Sacrifice one person versus like a thousand people. Yeah, yeah you're going to feel bad and guilty about that one person, but yet they rationalized that you have to save a thousand, you know, kind of thing, and that's. That guilt doesn't go away. They still carry it with them, but with the knowledge that... So a lot of bad people, yeah, they kind of feel bad, but what they feel that they're doing is a good thing, and they have to keep doing it. So, so are villains good at rationalizing? Oh, yeah, yes. they're going to be good at rationalizing. <laughs> he was, hold on, guys. He's still, he's still in there. That's all right. As an internal conflict... Does that work with the notion that you have to resolve the external and internal simultaneously if there is no resolution for guilt? You don't have to do that. That that can be something that's part of their that they're going to have to live with. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. You don't have to resolve everything. They don't have to be like perfect people at the end of the story. Okay. They can be changed. Something has changed with them, but they don't need to be perfect. I mean, everybody carries a little bit of guilt or, or remorse about something, even if it's something small. You know. So that can be fine, you know, and people can get changed, maybe not for the better, maybe for the worst, you know, because they've dealt with all this. You know, yeah, um, think of uh, Ender's Game, you know, what he did at the end, what was necessary, well, he didn't know what he was doing, so still he felt that guilt. So, you know, that's something there. All right, well, we need to keep going here for the next, the next one. That's all right. Um, other villainy considerations. Okay, the traumatic incident. Okay, that's something that could be a turning point in your villain's life, where he or she is set on his or her current path. Doesn't need to be a single incident. It could be from a years of living with an abusive parent, or, or something like that. It's like Harry Potter. You know, he had to live in the cupboard under the stairs for how many years in an unloving environment. You know, things like that. That adds up. But what it does. Does it make you stronger, or does it set you on the path of, of doing bad things? And I have a really great quote from Jim Butcher, who wrote the um, who wrote the Dresden Files. I think this this quote says it, sums it up very well. No one just starts giggling and wearing black and signs up to become a villainous monster. How the hell do you think it happens? This is Jim Butcher, by the way, not me. It happens to people. Just people. They make questionable choices for what might be very good reasons. They make choice after choice, and none of them is like slaughtering roomfuls of saints or murdering hundreds of baby seals or rubber room irrational, but it adds up. And then one day they look around and realize that they're so far over the line that they can't remember where it was. So... So that's how it happens, you know, it just kind of builds up. They make questionable choices, and it has effects, and it just keeps getting worse and worse and worse as they go. So, so that's um, something to, to, to consider, traumatic incidents. Then you have good qualities, as Nancy was saying earlier. Uh, just like your protagonist, 
you know, your, your, your antagonist will have good and bad habits. Uh, they, they should have, they could do something nice. Like she said, they could be a wonderful cellist, but yet be a terrible person. Um, protective, you know, it could be protective instinct for their children and protecting their children. It's like the mother whose daughter didn't get picked for cheerleading and she went and killed the, the other cheerleader because she was, in her mind, how dare that girl not pick her daughter for cheerleading, you know. And I might have thought that in my head with other kids and my kids, but I never acted on the impulse. <laughs> but still, yeah, yeah. But still, it's like the mother bear. So yeah, give them good qualities. Um, yeah. So, um, you know, they can go and, and work in a soup kitchen, like, you know, every Sunday. You know, it's like those, those guys that they find people buried in their backyard, and all the neighbors are like, but he was such a nice guy. Like, they're all confused. Like, he carried in my groceries for me, and he, he, he mowed the lawn for me, and stuff like that. It's like, yeah, and he murdered people and buried them in the backyard, too. So, so yeah, give him some good qualities, too. And then also fears. Everybody's afraid of something, you know. Uh, everybody, uh, unless unless they truly don't have any emotions, you know. Uh, so, so you know, give them a fear, but don't make it silly, because you know if they have a fear of rabbits or something, it's like, come on, dude, it's a rabbit. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh, yeah. That Oh, from, yeah, Anya from Buffy. That's what I was thinking of. Exactly. He nailed it. He nailed it. So, so give him, yeah, give him something to be afraid of, even if it's something. Like, you know, Indiana Jones, you know, he's doing all this stuff. He's dodging, like, arrows and stuff and big, huge rocks and all. And then he gets in a plane and there's a snake and he freaks out. You know, it's like, it's like, you know, that kind of thing. So, so that's, that's one of the things. So now here, I filled out my rest of my my table here with, with my, my character. Okay, so his traumatic incident is father's jealousy of the power, uh, which made him belittle his son and reject him. So that's not like quite one incident. It was just a series of incidents. Of course, when he, since he was born, and he found out he had this really powerful... He is the, power, the most powerful magician in the lands, but his father pretty much was jealous of that and rejected him. So it was a series of, of things that built up for him. Um, and then the external trigger was when finally his father made his cousin the heir instead of him, his own son. That's when, that was the external, that's when it snapped, which is also, can be internal. Okay, so good qualities. He's trying to connect with another, generally wish, he generally wishes to restore peace in the 15 realms. I mean, his, his, his motivation is really altruistic. They're, they're in chaos, they got bandits running amok and the law system has gone because every, you know, a lot of people have died. You know, people are taking advantage of other people. And all he genuinely wants to, to bring everybody together into one cohesive whole. So, I mean, that's a good quality. And also, he's a handsome guy. He's personable. He has a sense of humor. When my main protagonist meets him for the first time, she doesn't realize who he is because he's like, he's like the Brad Pitt, you know? He's like really nice guy and everything. And it's like, wait, that was... Him, you know? So, so that's, that's one thing. And fears, you know, that he's not worthy. And also, that, that can trigger him. I don't have anything. Oh, someone close to him will betray him. So, yeah. So, that's, that's some of the things. So, when you're writing your story and you have an antagonist, you need to know all this stuff. 
Okay? At least at least one. You don't have to know internal and external all the time, but you need to know this stuff before you go in and start writing on that. So I would normally give you time to finish out. Let me see what do I have left here. Nine minutes. Nine minutes. No, we have nine minutes. Okay, so I'll let you do that on your own now that you have it there and you know what you're going. I'm just going to go through a little bit of villainy dudes. <laughs> All right, who can name those characters on the graphic? The name of the. Who it is? No, not not. It's the other one. It's Mutley. Mutley is right. It's from Penelope Pitstop. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's um, Dirk. No. Uh, Dirk Dastardly. That's it, Dirk Dastardly. I had, a, I had a senior moment there. Okay. Uh, sir, show your villain doing something despicable, you know, in, in the course, if they're on stage. Now, if they're not on stage, like say they're the murderer and you don't know who the murderer is, well, having a dead body, that's despicable. So there you go. Um, but, you know, you, you show them doing something nasty um, in the course of the story. Uh, they get personal with the protagonist. I have my villain, Tohan. He does get with Avery at the time. Of course, she thinks he's a nice guy, but then he shows that when she doesn't cooperate, he shows her what he can do with his life magic. He can Not only can he take a life, but he can make you hurt really bad <laughs> um, as well. Um, match your villain to your genre, okay? You're not going to have, like, rope robots running amok in a romance novel. But that would be a really cool romance novel, wouldn't it? Yeah, I know. He's like, why not? <laughs> exactly. I guess, why not? But you're not... It, it depends on your story. If you have, like, a cozy mystery, you're not going to have somebody like a serial killer running through. But if you have a more gritty, realistic mystery, you'll have a serial killer or something in that. Basically, you know, if you, how you want to do it. But... Yeah, usually a rom- a romance readers might not like having a ro- robot running amok. <laughs> Unless the hero is like, you know, a firefighter or something that's going after him. Okay. <laughs> okay. Uh, show, show, show your villain doing something that he enjoys without greed or malice. Okay, so show the softer side. Uh, let the villain sometimes uh, win sometimes, Okay. You know, and surprise your readers. That can happen. You know, sometimes Voldemort, right? He, he he got to a point where he came all the way back from being this, like, you know, half-being to full. So he won quite a bit against Harry in those middle books. So let them win every so often. And um, I love, I have a poster I got from a Renaissance fair. And the poster is of this dragon. And the dragon has a lance, you know, like a knight's lance, and he's cleaning his teeth, and there's bits of the knight scattered about, and on the bottom it says, sometimes the dragon wins. <laughs> I love that poster. I have it up on my Because, <laughs> yeah, sometimes the dragon does win, you know? I love that with the, with the lance cleaning out his teeth. A little knight, like, little knight goo stuck in between. Okay. Uh, decide if your villain is eventually going to be redeemed. Or remains just as evil as when they started. I mean, you need to decide this. And um, like you know, Darth Vader. You know, he eventually did. He is redeemed. Uh, he is redeemed. And Scrooge, right? Scrooge is a bad guy. His story, but then he has a little night, night of woe, with three ghosts, and he's a new man when he wakes up. So uh, three ghosts of what? 
Yes, three ghosts of Christmas. Match the villain's eventual punishment to his or her crime. Okay, the whole thing. You don't want to have, go over the top if they just did something that you know required a slap on the wrist, but you don't want to give him a slap on the wrist if he should be like you know executed or put into jail for the rest of his life or her life. Something I don't see a whole lot is paragraphs where the villain is radicalized, where you start off thinking the villain will be redeemed, but through, but the villain but the villain becomes radicalized and loses redeeming qualities over the course of the series. Except sometimes in shows and stories with villain protagonists, but I don't can't really think of any stories off the top of my head with villain antagonists where you start off thinking that there's going that there's going to be a redemption arc, but that doesn't come. I think I got one. Yeah, I think I got a counterpoint here. Well, I know his character arc's not over, but they just did that in the most recent Star Wars movie. No spoilers. No yeah. spoilers. Uh, they, yeah. Uh, yeah. His character yeah, arc's obviously that. not over, but as, as far as the it, first okay, movie It appeared that yeah. things were going, yeah. 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 So that's good. All right. So also, if the villain is unknown, remember that, you know, that bad people, you know, can be hard to detect, like the guy with the... With the um, thing. Oh, and I match the villain to the protagonist. They should be almost equals because if if one is not as you know as strong as the other, then it's going to be really easy for one of them. And there's no conflict and tension. And the best example I have of this is Sherlock and Professor Moriarty. I mean, they're both very smart men, and they both play off each other because Sherlock is so smart. Regular people are just too stupid for him. Like, and if you see if you see the British show, like they show these all little like he'll somebody will come in and it'll be like Botox, this, this, divorce, here. And he, he solves the mystery like in seconds. And and it's funny and it's entertaining, but you don't want to see a whole show of him solving it in seconds. Which is why they needed Moriarty to kind of give him a challenge. The only problem with that is the challenge for him, you have to keep escalating it. And so now what are they going to come up with next? But actually, it brought him back. So. <laughs> and then thrillers, the villain should be more powerful. There you go. All right, so now we're running out of time. So, villainy don'ts, okay? So, avoid using stereotypes to depict villainy. Just because you say an antagonist is a vampire doesn't automatically mean that he or she is evil. Does everybody remember the sparkly vampires, right? <laughs> okay. Yeah. We spent years trying to forget. You started trying to forget. Sorry, and I just brought it up. More trauma. Okay. Avoid having your villain talk like a cheese ball. Okay, here's a list of cheese ball words. Bothersome. Meddlesome. You're doomed. Oh, how droll. Interesting. My dear. My friend. Uh, troublesome. Uh, so we meet again. Oh, my worthwhile opponent. Excellent. Amusing. And then I wrote a whole cheese ball sentence here. Your meddlesome antics are so amusing, my dear, but you are still doomed. Okay. So, so watch having a talk like a cheese ball. Also, watch out for those smirks. A lot of villains doing a lot of smirking. There's other things they can be doing. You can have a smug smile or a devilish grin, but like 
Watch with the smirks, because I was reading one, and were, that villain was smirking left and right. I'm like, I so wanted to slap him. Uh, it's just like that guy who raised the money for the uh, the medication, oh, and he sat there, and he had that smirk on his face. Oh, my God, I just wanted to slap him really, really hard. Because Yeah, yeah, because it's bad. Okay, and don't forget that character development and progression for your villains... Um, they can learn from their mistakes as well. You know, so ooh, so I shouldn't use C4 because it, it, it won't get through this security. You know, like they can learn from their mistakes. Like, oh, I, I need to, you know, revamp that or change the situation because this happened and I failed, but now I'm going to think of a better way to do it. So, and then beware the too evil for you syndrome, which is just over the top cartoon character villains, which I'm sure all of you would avoid because because you're here learning about how to write and, and improve your writing and everything. And, and I think, um, am I out of time? I can't see my own watch. Yes, yes I am out of time. So thank you for coming. Thank you for listening to The Melting Podcast. You can check out our website with submission guidelines and current prompts at themeltingpodcast.com. You can also find us on Twitter at Melting Podcast. Or you can email us themeltingpodcast at gmail.com. The Melting Podcast is released under a Creative Commons, attribution, non-commercial, no derivatives license, which means you're free to copy it and share it as long as you don't change it don't sell it, and always link back to the website. Sound effects are by the Free Sound Project. And our theme is by Drew Rich Creek. Send us stuff!